Hey, checkout is approaching and I'm about to get kicked out of my room, so I'm just going to get right into the intro of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. Checkout, kicked out of your room, what's going on? There is a tour. Pod tour list is happening right now. I'm coming to you live from Pittsburgh. I'm about to drive to Columbus. There's a bunch of shows happening. If you want to get tickets, you can go to potterylistpodcast.com slash live. It's been a very fun time and I hope to see you there. Speaking of people that I hope to see, we've new patrons who are supporting the podcast and I want to give a shout out to those new folks who have have joined the team over at patreon.com slash potterylist. So shout out to Tori Holsworth, Sophia Henderson, Marta Gruscheka, Alexa Andrew, Sarah Jansen, and Lydia. Shout out to Megan McCasland who upgraded their pledge. And a huge shout out to our newest producer level patron, Katie Gerwig. They join the ranks of Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Juan, Rosemary, Maria, Lisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Nikki, Kine, Sarah, Marta, Flor, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marike, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, the Meadows family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Peter, Callahan, Bella, Melanie, Rees, Joseph, Joseph, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Demi, Michelle, Henrique, Casey, Megan, Jack, Stain, Little, Elaria, Gregory, Cockhaw, Ribbon, Jack, Serenity, Haley, Sabrina, Jenny, Eileen, Annette, Hufflepuff, Brett, Mary, Artemis, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Punkfish, Wire Warrior, Joe, Michael, Maya, Jasmine, Neely, Tate, Sam, Sam, Adriana, John, Jody, Dunanash, Emma, Il, Sean, Greg, Matthew, Ping, Vinachik, Nani, Emma, Tuff, Micah, Michaela, Matthew, Steamed Nuggets, and Kurt. Who never run into the situation where they are about to get kicked out of their hotel room and they have to very quickly do the intro to an episode of Potterless. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to some sweet bonus content, the entire back catalog of stuff that we have done, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 189 of Potterless, covering some listener submitted fan theories from you, the Potterless listeners, guest starring the Super Carlin brothers, Jay and Ben Carlin. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult. He consumed other Harry Potter stuff. And now he's talking about above and beyond things such as fan theories. And that's what we're talking about today. Fan theories from you, the listeners. But I'm not just doing this alone. I'm doing this with, in my eyes, the leading voices of Harry Potter fan theories. It's the Super Carlin brothers themselves, Jay and Ben Carlin. Jay and Ben, how's it going? Oh, my gosh. I think you're a little generous with the leading authorities, but. (laughs) We do make a lot of Harry Potter fan theories, I will say that, yeah. There is no doubt that the the deep, deep, deep well that is the Harry Potter universe has been heavily explored here in this office. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember we were like maybe like the first 15 episodes in and I was like, I don't know how there's nothing left. There's nothing left to discuss. (laughs) And that was like six years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Famously, when I started Potterless, I said, I think that this is going to be about a 30 episode podcast. And I think this might be episode like 190 or something. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Outstanding. So we've gone a bit over. This is one of the final episodes, though. So it is finally coming to its not truly anticipated halt. But Before we close the doors on this chapter of my children book reading life, before I move on to doing Percy Jackson, I don't know if you guys have done fan theories about that. We'll see. Mike, if I had one request in our inbox that we got maybe more than you should do an episode with Potterless, Mm. it's could you make Percy Jackson theories? Yes. Ah. We cannot 
do a live stream event of any kind. <laughs> I've even gotten to the point where it's like, guys, we haven't read Percy Jackson yet. So like, we're not able to do fan theories on it. And it's like, so like, I appreciate your enthusiasm for it. But at this time, <laughs> I unfortunately don't have anything to contribute to that conversation. It will still be like, Percy Jackson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, good luck. I'm sure you'll have many, many awesome takes on it. I think it'll be a fun time. I'm excited to get that started, but I'm also excited to talk about these theories with you two. Now, we briefly mentioned your Harry Potter fan theory history in that when I was talking about the theories last time, some of the most popular ones in a previous episode, I noted that J.K. Rowling like quote tweeted one of yours, which Mm -hmm. I think is like a big deal in that it used to be a cool thing to get quote tweeted by J.K. and not so much anymore. So so now that's a little different, but you still got that on the resume. In, yes, while we were like, yeah, up and coming here on the YouTube, um, yeah, we made a theory about Dumbledore's Horcrux and what it might be. And, uh, you know, we put it out there and we were like so little at the time. We were like, guys, we should, I think we're really onto something. Can you, like, we should all tweet this to JK Rowling. <laughs> and like, maybe we were a little bigger than we thought because people did it. And then she actually <laughs> responded. And, you know, when she responds to a fan theory, then it got picked up by like every, you know, BuzzFeed and Screen Rant and Screen Junkie, like website out there. And yeah. all of a sudden it was like, oh, what did we do? Yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter fan theorists get slammed oh, by JK Rowling. Yeah, not only that, but it was, it was like the one fan theory J.K. Rowling hates. And you're like, oh, gosh, what? Oh, no. But at the same time, I was like, but she responded. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No such thing as bad press, and especially at the time. But yes, I was going to ask, did that result in any cheesy headlines, like you just said, the one thing she hates, or did it result in anyone writing you a very harshly worded letter? Like, how dare you besmirch the name of Harold Potter? <laughs> no, no, no. My, our uh, general response to stuff like that is just like, well, who, who is J.K. Rowling to say whether this is true or not? <laughs> the the work belongs to the fans, okay? All that, right. That was, yeah, yeah, that was the very <laughs> first time I was introduced to that idea of like, who owns the story? It seems like has migrated more and more and more in favor of the fans of the work. Yeah, I think so, especially, especially in, in Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember that one in particular. It was like at the time, it was like, yeah, you could say that in a tweet, but there's nothing in the books to counteract our own arguments. And since then, the Fantastic Beast movies have come out, and I think they do undo some of our arguments from that particular theory, all of the details of which I do not remember anymore, but that's okay. Like all the questions we were asking, like Fantastic Beast does address almost directly. So it's like, okay, well, we were asking the right questions because they weren't answered. (laughs) In a lot of ways, the whole Horcrux idea, I think started to be replaced with the Obscurus Mm. and like what role the Obscurus, Credence, all of these things are having on the primary plot of the Fantastic Beast story. Yeah. Because it seems to be the case that Ariana is almost certainly confirmed in Obscurus. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. Like, it's yeah. all but confirmed. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is the Fantastic Beasts film franchise is just JK getting back at this one fan theory from the two of you that really rubbed her the wrong way. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You're welcome, world, for Fantastic Beasts 1. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, if she could just tell us, like, say it out loud, like, you know, these guys, and then it'll be even greater when someday we get to run the Hogwarts Founders TV oh, that's show. Our, that's our dream, yeah, to write the Founders show. I will say on the note of Fantastic Beasts, there was a fan theory we had that was totally spot on that when they revealed like the cast photo that Claudia Kim's character was going to be a human form of Dingini and then boom, that was true. So that, that, was, that was a really exciting one. Yeah, we, we called that one like eight months in advance with nothing more than like the circus 
ticket stub piece of like marketing material. Yeah. And like amazing. Yeah. That was an exciting one. That's great. That was really cool. And that was even neater with that one because that was like all the anticipation coming out of Fantastic Beasts, coming into Crimes and Grindelwald, where there were like tons of like really fun, juicy questions to be asking. And we were actually at a Harry Potter event in New York City that J.K. Rowling was going to be attending. And she came in and, you know, like made a comment where she was like, ah, oh, you guys get like the special screening of like the newest trailer that's going to drop today. And it's like, I think you guys are going to want to pay attention. Mm. And so then like we like left that room and we got to go into like this other theater room with the other people at the time who were making Harry Potter stuff and out walks the cast right in front of us. So Claudia Kim was literally from where I am sitting in my chair right now to where the laptop is that we're talking to you on, like distance from me when we watched the trailer that revealed yeah that she was nagini and it was like <laughs> whoa yeah so um ezra miller is in the room too and i swear to you he is like a harry potter fan theory oh he is like junkie yeah, he is like a, yeah he's like a theory junkie for sure because he started talking about it afterwards and he's like looking at jay and i and it's just like are you talking to us does, right now you're sort of talking to the room but i feel like you're staring right at me does ezra miller know who i am yeah that's cool <laughs> Well, I'm glad that I'm speaking with two people who are the opposite of me and that pretty much every prediction I've ever made on Potterless has been incorrect, laughably so. And thinking Ludo Bagman was the villain, I thought Hermione was splitting herself into three different people instead of time traveling in the third book. So I am way off base. So we're really covering the full spectrum here of people that are good at predicting stuff and me, the host of Potterless. So we got a bunch of fun theories from listeners coming in and we're just going to go through a bunch of those and see your thoughts, see my thoughts, discuss them through and have a fun little chat that sounds perfect so here is our first clip hey mike this is ellis my favorite theory is the filch and mrs norris theory basically filch the squib accidentally turned his wife or life partner or whatever into a cat mrs norris which is why she acts so weird and one of the reasons he's so upset when they find his correspondence course because it's a great shame and possibly something he's trying to hide. Filch the Squib turned his last wife slash partner into Mrs. Norris the Cat, which explains why she acts weird and why he is very upset when the gang finds his quick spell correspondence course because he's ashamed. I've never heard this about the origins of Mrs. Norris, but... Oh, this, we have many thoughts about Filch. Ooh, so okay. many thoughts. Yes, it is so... <laughs> I am blown away that this is the first one you brought yeah. up because I knew we were coming on today and last night I was like scrolling through some of like our fan theories in my head and I was like, the one... this It's like such an odd one to feel so confident about, but the one that I feel most confident about that like is truly original to us is that Filch is a poltergeist. Yes. I've heard this. I've heard this. Okay, yes. so that one... That's one we came up with. And the idea is that Peeves as a poltergeist, like what poltergeists are, are like the physical manifestation of all the rule breaking in the school. So Peeves has a constant, nearly endless supply of hundreds of students every year breaking rules. It's like why he's so hard to expel. It's why he's the most notorious poltergeist. And on the flip side, though, you have Argus Filch. And he is the like Peeves exact opposite. He's like the physical manifestation of the strict rule keeping at Hogwarts. Like to a fault. Like to a fault. Yeah. Whereas magic almost by nature is like breaking the rules 
following the rules then is why he's like a squib, quote unquote, because nothing else about Filch's existence at Hogwarts makes sense at (laughs) all. Like one, squibs aren't even supposed to be allowed to the castle as students. Mm -hmm. Harry comes in one day and drapes mud across the floor and they're like, no, this is an extra couple hours of scrubbing for me, Potter. And it's like, dude, Dumbledore, why are you employing this guy? Any other teacher Anyone who could do magic could clean this up in less than a second. Why are you making someone Mm -hmm. do? Yeah, they have house elves. (laughs) They have house elves. Why is Filch there? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like he's paid well. He seems to actively hate the students. Dumbledore doesn't even seem to like him. He like mocks him in the opening feast. He's like, Mr. Filch reminds me for what he tells me is the 400th time. No magic in the corridors. Wink. Do it anyway. I've never understood it either. And I believe I spoke about it with Melissa and Ellie at a leaky con. Just either having Filch around is either the nicest thing that Dumbledore has ever done, where he's doing him some sort of favor or keeping him safer. There's some sort of reason that we don't know why he's keeping him around. Or it's just this huge prank and it's the meanest thing ever because exactly like you're saying, why do you need a janitor? Like, yeah. what is the point of wizard janitor? There is not. Yeah, it, it <laughs> just doesn't make sense. It doesn't really seem like he has authority. And the other thing about it, so this was another thing that we tied to in our theory is that the only people that Peeves has ever taken a direct order from is Fred and George during like their grand exit in Order of the Phoenix like yeah. with the fireworks and everything. And I think that it's pretty safe to say that Fred and George are the two human wizard characters that most embody the ideals of Peeves. Yeah. And so it's like, the- if Peeves is going to take signal from anybody, it's going to be those two. But similarly, I think on the flip side, the only person that Filch like really like ties to is going to be Umbridge. True. Yeah. And so I think in the same way, like Umbridge is such an odd kind of evil because yeah. she's not out there for like power and stuff. It's like a strange sort of control by way of like absurd rule following. Yeah, it's it's control and corruption and it's not necessarily searching for power. She already has the power. So it's more of abuse of power and yeah. twisting things to play in her favor. It's like lawful evil, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. So I guess with this theory, it is saying that at some point in time, I guess if you're saying he's still a squib, he accidentally turned the love of his life into Mrs. Norris the cat. Mm. And now he's just trying anything he can to undo what he's done. Mm. Well, if he's a squib, he could not have even accidentally done it. Oh, okay. I don't think. Because hmm. you have zero magic. You are effectively muggle except for the fact that you had wizard parents. Maybe you can see Dementors or something is. Well, and that's a little unclear because you've got. Like, can Filch see the ghosts? That would seem telling. I think I think you okay, can see so maybe you can see some things, but you shouldn't be able to do magic at all, even accidentally. And for a squib, do you have no magic from the jump, or is it like losing your powers at some point, or is it just from day one you're a squib and you've always been one? Day one squib, always been one. Although you can lose your powers to an extent as well, yeah, like through like extreme depression or something, or like squashing it down, although that could lead to like an obscurus. Sure. Right, yeah. right, yeah, which is going to be happening more with almost exclusively younger people. Right. But I think that Marope Gaunt had this particular right. affliction where she sort of like internalized it and like maybe ceased to be able to do magic at some point in time. And then I think also there's, I think it's more like a Pottermore article about McGonagall's mother, I mm. believe Mary's a muggle. And she oh. also has like a very, like she's ashamed of maybe being a witch and doesn't yeah. want him to discover it. Yeah. Um, so I don't think Filch could have accidentally turned Mrs. Norris into a cat. Although I do think it's possible. I think, 
our current belief on Mrs. Norris is that she was human and that it's very similar to Nagini. Okay. And that she's like a maledictus. Yeah. And the big thing here is that Mrs. Norris shows up on the Marauders map. Yeah. Oh, right. And so for us, we're sort of dovetailing a couple of other theories that we think lock nicely together, but it's kind of one of those odd pieces of territory where it's like, it's almost like the Pixar theory. If we're going to like swap over, it's like, if we agree with the Pixar theory and all of these other things, then we're going to take that information and apply it over here as if that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but our explanation for the Marauders map is it is obscenely powerful and it needs to be able to be sourcing its information. It's information from <clears throat> somewhere. So again, you've got like the book and quill the, like the book of admittance and the quill of acceptance or something. Are you familiar with those? I am not. Oh, these are a Pottermore article that talks about how you get admitted into Hogwarts. And it's like, once you're born, after you show a certain amount of magic, the quill will write it in the book. And these both these items reside in some like locked room in a tower at Hogwarts and no one's seen them. And it's an, I don't know. It's like Santa. They see you when you've become a wizard. Exactly. And they know when you're, <laughs> you're powerful. Exactly. It's exactly like that. <laughs> but so our thought is that this book is like where the map is sourcing its information from because like it's able to put down the names of people who weren't born when the marauders made the map it's like where are you getting the information from true but the mrs norris is also the only animal who shows up on the map except for like scabbers Pettigrew, but he still shows up as Pettigrew, not scabbers the rat right 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 so like yeah there's that because so, he's still a human which is also another bit of information that helps us because it's like yeah peter shows up on the map but that's because he's a human and even though he looks like a rat so it's like why is mrs Norris showing up because otherwise you'd think at like mail time or something on the map oh. like can you imagine the owls in the great hall or it's like <laughs> trevor the toad or trevor the toad or Kirk like Shanks all the or anybody house elves don't even show up like you know harry's been he's like astounded in book four to find out that there's house elves at the school even though he's had the map since book three and it seems like like, it'd be hard to hide them. <laughs> right. The more I think about the Hells Elves, the worse I feel about them. And Absolutely. them not showing up on the map feels very rude. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because they obviously know they're there. Like, obviously, the Marauders found the kitchen. The, the map shows you how to get into the kitchen. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yep. It's like, it's, it's, <laughs> something is weird. So the fact that Mrs. Norris shows up, even though she's a cat, is very suspicious. Okay. Unless either she's an extension of Filch, who is a poltergeist, because Peeves also shows up on the map, in which case both of them are like united in their being a part of the castle itself rather than actual beings. Or she was a human and now she's a cat, and that's why she shows up on the map. Right. Okay. All right. So, there you go. Those are our thoughts. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. That was a really good one. Okay, here's the next one that we have. Hi, Mike. It's Jackson from Brooklyn. I'd love to hear you talk about my favorite theory that Draco is a werewolf. He shows his arm to Borgen and mentions that his dad is friends with Fenrir Greyback. And the trio think this means that he's um, got a dark mark. But it makes a lot more sense that he would have been made a werewolf as punishment um, for Lucius's, you know, transgressions against Voldemort um, than that he's actually a Death Eater. And when you look into it, there's a lot more evidence. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. I've heard this one before. It's the Draco is a werewolf theory. <laughs> so showing his arm to Borgen, <laughs> yeah. saying his father's friends with Fenrir Greyback. Mm -hmm. I personally have never bought this because I thought the whole showing of the arm thing was just very heavily implied dark mark. That's agreed. I'm sure you've heard this one as well, but this one was sent in by multiple people. So I felt like it should be discussed. Yeah, we have made a video about this. And I think largely the reason I made a video is because... When I was investigating this theory, the original author of it made a website called DracoMalfoysAWerewolf.com. Huh. And 
the whole website is a single page. It's like a white box with like two paragraphs on it. And it just explains the theory. Okay. It was so funny to me that they went to this trouble and it was so simple and to the point. It's like, this is the whole website. Draco Malfoy is a werewolf.com. Boom, done. And I love that they even made that the title. I don't know if I, yeah, I'd super buy it. When we made it, I believe that we offered the disclaimer that, because this one we made, I think probably in 2015, 2016. Yeah. We said that it was a movie only theory. Mm. Oh, did like, we? like it might work better in exclusively movie, but I think it's basically otherwise dispelled by book canon. And as far yeah. as we're concerned, like, and I can't remember, I wish I could the the specific thing that does it. But when it comes down to theory writing for us, it's like the movies are really good visual examples that we can use in our storytelling but we don't consider them canon okay all right so it's hard to rely on well those, but. i consider like the fantastic beasts movies well they don't have source they don't have, material they don't have source material yeah yeah but right. it's weird because then the fantastic beast movies use the same sets as the harry potter movies so they like retroactively make the harry potter movies set design perfect <laughs> <laughs> exactly right exactly. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They, they nailed it they nailed it. wow <laughs> A plus work. Yeah. So here's one that is a bit sillier and very simple, but I love it. Fudge had a crush on the Muggle Prime Minister. So first of all, he stayed on as the liaison to him, even though he wasn't the Minister of Magic anymore. And he kept on coming back to the Muggle Prime Minister, which for reasons, of course. But instead of just staying, giving a quick summary of it and then leaving, he seemed to stay on for extra time give a little banter also just in general fudge gives me like a lot of gay vibes fudge had a crush on the muggle prime minister and the justification is that fudge always lingers after the necessary visits with the prime minister to banter oh my gosh <laughs> i've absolutely <laughs> never heard this one i, I guess never heard it. i guess we don't know that fudge is married in any sort of way never say right? yeah. no 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 yeah, i don't think yeah. so okay i sort of like it i sort of like it yeah it feels like a secret that Fudge would think he needs to keep when in reality he just doesn't. He doesn't need to keep it a secret? Right, like, he, like yeah. Because it would, like, out him or because... Because it would, it would be out with, him. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Or because it's with a muggle. No, I think it'd be because it would out him. Okay. But, like, so this would be the type of thing where I feel like it plays into Fudge's character, which I'm not a huge fan of Fudge. No, um, no, no, not at all. I don't know if anyone is. Yeah. That'd be a strange <laughs> thing to like him. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's like my favorite character. Cornelius Fudge. Yeah, this guy is not great. Because I do, I too share a passion for pea soup. I love a lime green bowler cap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the lime green bowler cap. <laughs> I don't know why they couldn't put that in the movie. It's like his number one defining characteristic, right? I was furious that that wasn't in the movie. It's yeah. one of the four things we know about the guy. Yeah. And yes, it's ridiculous, but come on. It's one of the four things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We complain about the movies sometimes, often. This to me is like one of those like departures because I felt like the first two movies did a better job of capturing like sort of just just the general sense of whimsy yeah, of, like of this world. Yeah, the spirit of the world. Yeah, and and then it felt like after that, like starting at three, it was like, let's make things dark mm-hmm. and like desaturate the yeah. <laughs> the image. And The movies get progressively grayer and grayer yeah. as, the, as the franchise continues. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think it's the type of thing that I could have seen as like a bright, colorful portion of this wizarding world that we love if you carry over 
prefer the imagery and everything from one and two, but I would say that they don't. They leave that behind at that point in time. Yeah, they've taken a they've taken a left turn. The third movie in particular takes a a whole bunch of unique liberties where things have been changed. Yeah, for sure. In an unexpected way. Yeah, like the shrunken head in the night bus. I always I didn't understand <laughs> why. What like yeah. W- you know, it was Why? it was in between the lines. You just really have to read the subtext of the book, and you can see, oh yeah, yeah. Mm, oh, there's the shrunken head. <laughs> implied shrunken head. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes, implied. implied shrunken head. Also, just the whole like car chase nature of the night bus scene <laughs> in Prisoner. It's like okay. Oh, you mean like you didn't expect it to be like launching through town and squishing between things nope. and such? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does seem like more of like a vehicle apparition type of thing. Yeah, the night bus is a cat bus. That's yeah. another one of our theories. Ooh. Yeah, that's so we think that the night bus is a a Zowu. A Zowu from the ah, second Fantastic Beast movie. Because yeah. they can like jump through time and space, sort of. Okay. Yeah. But also like cat bus is like a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a Miyazaka movie thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So and I think even that's sourced in some sort of like pre existing lore as well. Maybe I don't know. Now I'm just making stuff up. But Anyway, the night bus is a Zowu. Yeah, head candy. Yeah. Love it. How'd we get there? How'd we get there? Fudge <laughs> likes the prime minister. Yeah, fu- yeah. naturally, Fudge, <laughs> Bullers, movie problems, and the night bus is a Zowu. I don't know anything about British prime ministers of the past, but the book that where we would think that he had the crush, would that be in book six where the, we get the one chapter where he talks to him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it'd be like 1996, right? Yeah, 1996. Okay, yeah. so according to Google, in 1996, the UK prime minister was John Major. I know nothing about this person. Me neither. He seems like just your standard old white guy, uh, but he's got nice hair and fancy looking glasses, so All maybe right. that's Fudge's type. Who's to say? It very well could be. Could does, be. does it say anything about his, his current <clears throat> interest level in bowler hats? It doesn't say that. I'm going to just real quick pull up the wiki and just make sure this guy's not like the worst person on earth. And we're like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That guy. (laughs) I could see it. I could see it. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in 1996, I was eight. So I wasn't exactly into British politics at the time. Not yet. But I mean, like, come, come, come to age 10. Yeah. That's when I really got into it. But John Major was gone by then. Yeah. None of his headlines on Wikipedia are scandal or anything of that element. Okay. One of them is called honors spelled with a U. Honors. I would hope he's okay. 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 Yes. Yes. All right. Well, maybe he was Fudge's type. Although maybe if he was more of like a scandalous politician, that would really be more of Fudge's type. Mm. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Okay. 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 All right. Well, it doesn't have to be a two-way street. It's just that Fudge had a crush on him. That's the theory. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it said. All right. I'm into it. See ya. <laughs> Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Shaker and Spoon. Let's say hypothetically that you are me, Mike Schubert, and you have been racking your brain with all of these fan theories, and you are just so exhausted, you want to wind down at the end of the day. What's one way that you could wind down but also be fancy at the same time? You could make some drinks with Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is a delivery service that gives you the tools and the ingredients and the recipe in order to make some fancy drinks. All you provide is the liquor, and they provide everything else. They give you the recipe to make three different drinks and enough ingredients to make four servings of each drink, and you get to make some really fun stuff. I've done some Shaker and Spoon boxes with whiskey. I've done them with tequila before, and you get to learn to make a lot of really fun drinks. I've had friends over, and we had parties where we were doing something else like cooking a meal or watching a movie, but to make it feel a bit more fun, we made cocktails together, and we all learned how to make them, and it was a fun time, and I am someone that does not enjoy to spend a bunch of money at cocktail bars buying cocktails. I am much more frugal with my alcohol consumption, and Shaker and Spoon allows me to keep 
keep that frugality, but also add some fanciness. So if you want to check this out, you can go to shakerandspoon.com slash wizard on and you will get $20 off your first box. The boxes usually run $40 to $50, so that's about half off. It's a pretty good deal. So go to shakerandspoon.com slash wizard on to get a Shaker and Spoon box delivered to you so that you can be a fancy person winding down after a day of fan theory brain racking today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is slash Bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards or we open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. So here is the next one. I don't think Harry Scar is from Avada Kedavra. The spell is not supposed to leave any marks on the body at all, so why should it even if it failed? I think it's from something else completely. The ring before it's turned into a horcrux does not have a crack in it. The ring after it's turned into a horcrux does have a crack in it, and it's never explicitly said that Dumbledore cracked the ring using the sword. It's only ever implied. You know what else has a crack in it? Harry's forehead. I think both the crack and the scar come from being turned into horcruxes. Ooh, that's very interesting. Although, I will say, I definitely think it's lightning because our thought on how Lavada Kedavra works is that it uses lightning, and that's why it's in the shape of a lightning bolt. Like, oh. that's what's so deadly about it. Because, like, when 
<sighs> Haplid Prince. The chapter title is called The Lightning Struck Tower. And that's what... That's what Snape uses that's to what, kill Dumbledore. Yeah, Snape... You, like, The Lightning Struck Tower is where Dumbledore dies. Uh, Why is it called The Lightning Struck Tower? What happens up there that makes it lightning struck is that Dumbledore dies. Yeah, does the book ever say that it's raining and that there's lightning actually striking? Like, it wouldn't even be the setting? The Lightning Struck Tower comes from Trelawney. Who, she's doing like tarot cards or something oh, and course, she's like walking yes. down the hall and she's like the lightning struck tower the knave of spades and you're like oh it's Malfoy oh it's it's the astronomy tower right you know that's right. like what she's getting at she has no idea what she's talking about but uh, of course as usual but she's Trelawney is always right there every single thing yes. she says comes true mm-hmm. which is fantastic yeah. I love it but I think that's the clue that Avada Kedavra uses like part of what makes it deadly is lightning something from lightning. something from lightning and that's why harry's scar is specifically shaped like lightning yeah i think there there's like a couple of other like significant pieces of this theory and i feel like i'm yeah i know we had other things like uh, like it doesn't leave a mark but then like when voldemort fires avada Kedavra like at the at harry in the graveyard it does like blow up the tombstones mm-hmm. right so it's like it doesn't not leave a mark. I don't know. <laughs> right, um, right. But that's the thing, too. Like, when they find, like, Tom Riddle's family dead is that they've got, like, that one line that I've always thought was so funny, which is, like, they were in perfect health other than the fact that they were dead. Yeah. I think in that particular instance, there was no specific right mark or injury. Or Well, it's not supposed to leave a mark. It leaves a mark on Harry because he's shielded by the charm. Right. Yeah. We don't have any other instances of... It not working. I, did it technically work when Harry kind of dies and goes into Heavenly King's Cross and comes back? Does it say, oh, yeah, Harry has a second scar now? Well, it doesn't. I don't think he has a second scar because I do think it works. So it doesn't leave a mark this time. Right. My headcanon is that he does die. That's sort of the way I've always seen it. Because he also, by doing so, like through that sacrifice, he does ultimately, one, uh, destroy the Horcrux inside of himself, which I think is what Avada Kedavra ultimately killed is... Yeah, the the, the, hor- the piece of Voldemort that was living inside of Harry. Yeah. And then on top of that, Harry cast the protection over everybody at the Battle of Hogwarts. Right. Just in the same way that Lily's sacrifice protected Harry to begin with. So, right. yeah, that's the way that I view it. He came back from the dead. Okay. Yeah. There's no other instance of someone coming back or not dying from Avada Kedavra, right? Like, we can't cross-reference Scar versus not Scar to tie with this spell with anybody else? No. Yeah. Nope. I don't think so. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what's super unique about Harry, right? That he's the only one who have not died from it. Right. But again, you know, like, I think the other thing, too, is like at the Battle of the Ministry, you know, like Dumbledore can use the golden statue head to like block it. And I think it causes the golden statue to like blow up. That's true. When, when Avada Kedavra hits it. So I think that that's another point in the column of when it misses. And this is like an odd version of miss. They say you can't block it, but it's not like you can't put something in front of it that will then explode. So it's like you can't. (laughs) Seems like blocking to me. (laughs) It does seem like blocking because otherwise it would just be like just cast it into a wall and it would just keep going until it hits something. Yeah, I guess what they mean is there's not like a, you can't like Protego or there's not like a spell you can use to block it. You can't magically block it. Yeah. So I, what I would say if we're going to like take those bits of information, put them together is that the spell basically like bounces off Harry, leaves the scar, hits Voldemort which causes his mortal body to die because at right. that point in time, he's just a piece of soul. Yeah, mist vapor or whatever. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. less than the, what does he say? Less than the weakest ghost or yeah, something like that. But that would make sense to me. The odder thing would be the fact that they didn't find Voldemort's body in right. the ruins of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, is there ever any explanation for that of why his body is not also in the house? I guess the spell hitting him must have 
cause his body to vanish in some way. That's leaving a mark, right? Yeah, that's odd. The, the whole exchange there, because isn't it also the case that it's been, it took Hagrid a full day to collect Harry and then bring them back because McGonagall's been sitting on the fence watching the Dursleys all day. So by the time Hagrid gets there that evening... Yeah, it's been a full 24 hours since it's happened. Right. What happened there? Yeah, I don't know. It's Yeah, so Voldemort attacks them. Then he gets blasted. Then Sirius shows up. Then Hagrid shows up. Then Sirius gives Harry to Hagrid. And then one full day later, Hagrid meets McGonagall and Dumbledore at the Dursleys. Right. And what happens in between? Don't know. Don't know. That's wild. And is the house fully intact or does the house take any sort of damage? Like, it's not like they had to search through the rubble for Harry or anything, right? I think it is damaged, right? Because when they visited in Deathly Hallows... I think the one bedroom is, like, blown out. Yeah. I don't think the whole house is toppled, but okay. there was, like, an explosion, I think, that came from it. Yeah. Okay. The other thing that we have, if we want to talk about another theory kind of tied into this exact same moment... Sure. ...is the idea that Voldemort was basically attempting to convert objects from each of the founders into horcruxes right our big theory for a long time the final horcrux he was going to make the night that he was going to kill harry was he had the sword of gryffindor with him oh and the sword of yeah. gryffindor was going to be the last horcrux because certain or dumbledore theorizes himself that voldemort was going to use harry's death to make the final horcrux right right yeah so he says that but then you should be able to find whatever the item was in the house Yes. But it, they don't. But great news. The Sword of Gryffindor has a natural disappearing act. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it, it stands to reason. Yeah, that, and he found the other three, right? He found the other three, including <clears throat> the diadem. Including the diadem, which is impressive. Which is titled The Lost Diadem, and he still found it. Very impressive work. Very yes, impressive yes, work. Well done. He was a great student, <laughs> yeah. after all. Plus, then you have this other weird, unexplained gap of time, which is the... Potters go into hiding long enough for like Lily to at least send whatever postcard to Sirius about like, oh, thanks for the present. Harry loves his gift. Yes. Okay. So because that's on July 31st, yeah. which is Harry's birthday. And then they're not attacked until October 31st. Exactly. So it's not like Peter becomes the secret keeper, tells Voldemort, and then Voldemort goes the next night. There's like a it's three Voldemort, months. Yeah, like Voldemort has the information of where they are for a while. So like, what was he waiting for? Like, did he want to do it on the spookiest day of the year? Yes, that <laughs> is a thousand percent it. Because according to J.K. Rowling, every date has to mean something. Fred and George were born on April 1st. Like every date is yeah. the first thing you could think of. Yeah. So yes, got to be on spooky day. Got to be on spooky day. But our thought is that like, he was waiting until he found the final item to make a Horcrux, and he oh. finally found the sword. He's like, I, I, got, I know where he is. He's not going anywhere because they're hiding from me. That would make much more sense, but I wouldn't put it past Voldemort to really do it for the theatrics of, well, we should do this on Halloween. No doubt. No doubt either, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's another one of those where it's like how deep into the weeds you want to get. But the other thing that we do know that happens during this period of time is that Molly's twin brothers... Brothers, just, just Fab brothers, Fabian yeah. and Gideon Pruitt, which are the F and J, F and G, F and G. Sorry, I know my letters <laughs> that Fred and George are named after. They do die uh, as members of the Order of the Phoenix, fighting Death against Eaters. Death Eaters, and that could be considering the entire Weasley family is about as much of a Gryffindor fixture as it can be. That there is a very strong possibility that Fabian and Gideon were also Gryffindors, and then in that battle, what. Voldemort was almost attempting to do was literally provide the circumstances for the sword to appear. Right, like the sword oh. appeared to them in their fight 
they lost the fight. The sword remains. The Death Eaters collect it and give it to Voldemort. He could have even been trying to do this for a while because we know the circumstances for who the Chosen One is, is parents who thrice defied the Dark Lord. And Lillian James did it three times and so did Neville's parents. Yeah. So it's like... Like he's been attacking. Like he's been attacking Gryffindors Gryffindors. over and over and over again in an effort to potentially do this exact thing. Plus the lore of how the sword presents itself is a historically known thing. Like when Rufus Scrimgeour is delivering Dumbledore's will, he's like, the sword of Gryffindor may present itself to any worthy Gryffindor. And it's like, that's a known fact even to Scrimgeour. Right. It's a well-known fact about this historic object. So it's not like Voldemort couldn't have learned how the sword works. The detail of it. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Right. Yeah. I wonder if it's ever been the case that there were two Gryffindors in need at once and somebody was about to like be okay and then it vanished from their hand and then they got eaten by a big snake or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alternate universe where Harry really needs the sword, but uh, some other guy needed it really badly too. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> right, right, right. There's like tie break rules. Like if when all the weird things in playoffs and sports where it's like, well, you beat these people at their home turf. So there's actually very in-depth rulings of, well, this person needs it more and here's why right, right. <laughs> so on and so right, forth right, yeah. if you read the fine print of the sort of Gryffindor here's actually why we couldn't give it to you <laughs> it made the right choice right, it made yeah. the right choice yes yeah. oh man okay all right I like that I like that it's an interesting thing to think about I also like the other thoughts of why did Voldemort wait I think that's super fun so here is the next one and this is more about interpretations of the text lots of foreshadowing type elements which will always raise the question of did jk plan this or do people just think she did regardless what the answer is she will take credit for it so this person says hey tubes the theory i'm talking about is that the end of the first harry potter book predicts all seven so the first room that harry and his friends have to go through has fluffy fluffy represents hagrid hagrid is a driving force for most of the first book the second room has the devil's snare which is similar to green snakes, hence the second book. Third room, the brooms and the keys. This is the only room that can't kill you, and Voldemort doesn't show up in the third book. He shows up in all the rest of them. All the other rooms can kill you. Flying plays a big part in the third room as well with Harry's broom. Fourth room, the chess game. That's very similar to the Triwizard Tournament. The set of obstacles that Harry, Ron, and Hermione have to face at the end of the first book predict the plot of the next books in the series. Interesting. Okay, so then, yeah, does it just stop at four? Do they explain, like... I think it would just stop at four unless you wanted to say Room 5 is fighting off Voldemort and in book five, there's a duel between Dumbledore and Voldemort. Yeah, eh, that's a little bit weaker. I don't know, maybe if you could compare the troll, I don't know, to like the prophecy or to Grop or something. I'm also trying to think. I'm even going beyond that to the Mirror of Air set and trying to decide if there's anything about Six, like going into the Pensieve. Is that like like looking into yourself? I mean, oh, like, um, you know, you're going like, into the Mirror of Air. Okay, okay. But the mirror, but the, the, the potions are before the mirror. No, 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 I know. Okay. So I'm skipping Order of the Phoenix entirely okay. going to Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. So is room number five? Five is potions. Okay, so we'd have to make potions. No, five it. is the troll. Oh! Five is the troll. Six is the potion. Seven is the mirror. 
Oh, wow. You know, I've literally never thought of it as if there were seven obstacles because Quirrell has basically knocked out the troll. I forgot that the troll was even there. The troll is there. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. So that's what I was trying to compare to Order of the no, Phoenix. No, yeah, that, okay, that makes sense. Umbridge is the troll. That's Ooh. done. Okay, next. Ooh, easy. Um, easy. So six. six. So now we're into the potions room, which is called the Half-Blood Blood Prince, Prince, and that's Snape's. Oh. Whoa, we're getting there. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, and I, then, I mean, 100%. And, and then I the man the with two faces is Harry because he has the Horcrux, right? He yeah. The second hole. Oh wow, man. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. That We're holds up there. way better. That holds up better. As long as I don't think anyone would fight you on Umbridge is the troll, even though that has way less to do with Voldemort. But there is still Grop Grop, as you said, yeah. is still there. He even plays a role with Umbridge herself. Yep. Okay. Okay. The one I'm actually the least sold on is the Devil's Snare at the moment. <laughs> Although even just the name, the Devil's Snare, this is like Tom Riddle's trap. Right. I mean, and that's almost a better way to look at it is is like you've got like a visual explanation that could work if you want it to, because they're basically being strangled is pretty much what's happening. So like, I mean, snakes are constrictors sometimes. Sometimes. Basilisks have venom, so they wouldn't be. But okay. So then they're still fluffy. Hmm. I don't know. Like Haggard drives at that. What could... The three-headed dog. I mean, Fluffy having three heads could be setting the stage for our main three yeah, characters. Yeah, like the golden trio. I can see that. I mean, you've sort of got the belief that you've got Snape, Quirrell, and then Voldemort. If you want to look at, like, who you believe is going to be the villain mm-hmm. the whole time. With the idea basically being, if we're trying to figure out how a three-headed dog fits into a book that involves a two-headed man who is the villain, it's like, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, There's also the... Fluffy's like weakness is music and earlier in the book Dumbledore says like oh, music of magic greater than anything we do here and it's like I don't know if that has anything to do with it or mm. that's interesting too the yeah huh. the other rooms do line up pretty good because you're right like there's nothing that can kill you in the third one like and, that, and yeah, he the third gets the firebolt yeah he gets the firebolt and it's really the only one Voldemort's not in yep and I guess the other thing is if you look at the theory as each room predicts the next book. I guess the first room doesn't need to predict the first book because we are already in, in the first book. We're already in the first book, yeah. sure. Even if you don't tie the three-headed dog to the three potential villains or the three main characters or the music thing, you could at least say that each subsequent room is each subsequent book and kind of just give that first one a wash. Okay, I do I, like this one. I would say that this is good enough to make a video about. I think so. Yeah, um, you could at least make a video about I think we could. We could just put this on the books. I don't think that I can. I don't think. Yeah. Who just, submitted this? <laughs> hey, it's me editing Mike live from my room here in Pittsburgh just to answer this question. Unfortunately, the listener who called in called via voicemail and did not leave their name. So I do not know who left this. Thank you so much for doing so. But also what Jay and Ben talked about here did happen. They did end up making a video about this, and it was very cool. They mentioned Potterless. It was a fun time. You can watch it on their YouTube channel if you search for Super Carlin Brothers, and it is one of their most recent videos. It's an extremely clever way to look at it, and I think, I feel like I can't articulate it just like totally on the go, but I feel like there's a way to spend the time with each of them because it does seem to work well enough. But I also agree with the sentiment of was this planned and I, I would not feel like it was. I don't think it would be either. I think it's more of it, revisionist history makes it easier. It's easier hindsight 2020 to find yeah. things, especially because there's not necessarily the same characteristic in all of them. Yeah. It's more of we've got this room. What's something that ties it? I think some are really good fits like potions and potions for room six, book six is really on the money. Yes. But some of these other ones are doing a little bit of mental gymnastics going on. 
pulling a little acrobatic Simone Biles in our brains. I think it's probably not a JK had it from the jump thing. I agree with but that. But I do think it's a fun way to look. And I think if you were to do a video on it and to really dive deeper, it would be interesting to really look into some of the ways the rooms are described and see if there's any particular details within it that really point to something. Because right now we're all kind of thinking of the big picture stuff, but it would be funny if there's one tiny little sentence we don't have memorized that really draws to something that happens later in the series. Right, right. Yeah, like I was thinking about the third room again and like the fact that it's like the silver key and I was like, oh, and like that's all about Pettigrew who gets like the silver hand, but it's like that really happens in four, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. you're like grasping it like that, like, oh, it works. No, it yeah, work. I think the to me what the, the rooms have always really been meant to do I think the movie actually does a really good job of it. What's the like showcase the skill set of Harry Ron and Hermione? Because like in the movie, like each one of them gets a room to beat. Hermione gets to beat the Devil Snare, and Harry gets to beat the keys, and Ron beats the chess set, and then Harry gets to win twice because he's the main character and he beats Quirrell. I mean, I would even argue that I'm trying to remember the description of the potions, but doesn't Hermione kind of step in and solve that one too? They switch that one in the book because they don't do the potions in the movie. Oh, but right, in the right, book, right. then you could say Harry plays the flute to get rid of Fluffy. Hermione summons the fire to get rid of the devil snare, but Harry is the one leading them like decisively. And Ron is the one that reminds her that she is in fact a witch and can do magic. Yeah, that's like the teamwork one yeah. where all three of them sort of work <laughs> together. Then Harry gets the keys, Ron gets the chess set, no one has to do the troll, Hermione. and Hermione does the potions instead. Right. So, And then Harry gets to win again an extra round because he does the final one himself or beats the mirror. So in the book, Harry gets to be the hero in a lot more rooms, but... The other thing, too, about this particular section of the series is that we've done, like, our big video series is called Dumbledore's Big Plan, which basically sort of, like, outlines the preparation that Dumbledore was pretty much putting Harry through from the beginning because... Oh, right. There's a lot to be said for the fact that, like, that this was even, like, an achievable thing for him to go and do. And even at the end, Harry says, like, I think Dumbledore thought I should, like, be allowed to have a go at it. And yeah, it's like, that's, the, that's the real theory is that... Dumbledore sets up this obstacle course specifically so Harry can try his hand at it. Right. He's allowing Harry to test his own bravery is the way that I see it. Because he also gives him the invisibility cloak. Like, he's heavily equipping him for yeah. all of this stuff. Yeah, he leaves the mirror out the very night he gets the cloak. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, like he knows that Harry is going and visiting it. Even if you wanted to go so he's far. He's even waiting the... in the room for him, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. right. Yes, 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 yes. Or even the fact that he has Hagrid be the person to go pick him up. Yeah. Hagrid's the one who gives him the final Yeah, shows him, shows yeah. him, oh, there's something hiding. Everyone's going to wonder, but you'll know. Right. The whole series would be very different if Dumbledore was just direct and communicated. Oh, yeah. And didn't always, like, plant seeds and play head games. Be a much shorter book series if he just, I don't know, communicated with people, told them what they wanted, etc. So often that's the case. Like it's I mean, I know it's just, like, create suspense in the writing for the reader or whatever, but there's so many situations where... If someone had just like spoken up a little bit more, like even when Harry's like, I'm hearing voices and they're like, nah, I don't know. That's not a good thing. You shouldn't tell people. It's like if you just spend like, maybe you should tell someone. It almost feels like an editor's note. It's yeah. like you have to. It's like, you why wouldn't Harry this? just tell someone? Yeah. It's like, oh, because Hermione and Ron. Oh, said. The Thestrals. I was watching this scene this morning for the video we're working on today. It's so annoying to me. They're like, there's nothing there, Harry. They're pulling themselves like usual. If you're Harry in that situation, be like, no, no, I, guys, I am dead serious. There's like a <laughs> giant horse right here. Like, it must be able to make itself invisible or something. Do you know of any horses that can make themselves invisible? And like, Hermione, like, yeah, like, I read about it in Hogwarts, a history. I know. <laughs> That's the, uh, that was the other thing with 
another thing that upset me very similarly is when Hermione just doesn't tell them about Fiendfire until the very end. Yeah. That's the kind of thing where Hermione would for sure know what a Thestral is. And the second Harry brings it up, she'd say, oh, yes, you must be talking about a Thestral, which I've certainly already read about because I'm Hermione and of course I have. Exactly. Right. Oh, the Fiendfire is so annoying. It seems like even if they didn't try it themselves, it seems like they could have planted the seed earlier in the book so it's not just catching you off guard mm-hmm. when it happens in the room of requirement. Like, well, there is fiend fire, but we shouldn't do that. We'll burn down half of England or something. That's what I've always said. Even if that was her justification, you have to say it earlier so yeah. that it's not just like, oh, yeah, I knew about it. I just didn't tell you guys because I didn't trust you, which is valid. But also, when you're struggling and you have no idea what to do at all, she would have said something. Right, right, right. right come right. on. It's, it's like we, we've been looking Looking high and low, I do have in my back pocket one explanation that will work. I do. I have a way. I have a way. Like I know, especially because like Ron leaves. Like you're holding <laughs> yeah. this in your back pocket after Ron leaves. Yeah. Like come on, and then you get attacked by the snake and you almost die. Like Hermione, it's time. One to- more straw, and I'm going to tell them about yeah. it. Yeah. One more. Like, just go, like go to a nice island, a small island where the fire can't escape. It'll be fine. You're good. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, they can even go to the island that Harry first went to yeah. with Dumbledore. Oh, with the locket. Oh, they could have returned to the locket oh. spot and trapped the fire in the cave. Oh, wow, it's could've way worked. better. It's way better. And don't they not even ultimately need the fiend fire in the end? Because couldn't they have just used a basilisk fang to do it anyway? It's something that I think from a plot perspective creates a plot hole. We've already discussed at length just from a personality perspective why it doesn't matter. And then ultimately in the grand scheme of the plot, who cares? You didn't need it. So we've got this thing that like breaks the world and it didn't matter. Oh, the other thing I really wish that would have made it matter just a a little bit more that I could have put all this under the rug with is if Malfoy had been the one to cast the spell. And not Crab. I know, because then (laughs) then you're like, Malfoy killed one of the Horcruxes. That's great. That's the little bit of, you know, that would have been good. It's like every other character is so important. It's like Dumbledore and Harry and Neville and Ron and Hermione and Crab. Like, (laughs) couldn't have been one of the other main characters who's like already sort of on a redemption arc here. Like, give it to Malfoy, man. Oh, Oh, yeah, don't uh, even get me started on the lack of Malfoy redemption arc because yeah. it's not there. It's, it, but it, it's it, not like, there. wants to be. It could have yes. been. It yeah. should have been. been. Like, yeah. yeah. So my, like, hopefully I'll try to keep it to, like, 30-second rant is basically that, like, he is a child. And, like, I think that you have to be a little bit forgiving to the idea that it is hard for a child to see beyond the circumstances of their parents and, and what they're saying. So he is a parrot of their beliefs. And it's like, I challenge anybody to overcome that as a young child. Like, that's difficult. Yeah, especially in, like, wizarding homes where you're basically isolated with your family until you're 11. Exactly. Yeah. But, so, the big thing to me is that basically when he gets the six, it is the very first time when Malfoy can no longer rely on his parents to solve the problem for him. He can't be like, I'm going to call my father. Like, he has to do the thing, and it nearly kills him. What I would so love is basically for Malfoy to, like, be pushing forward because his entire life tells him to, but also be like this is the wrong thing to do. I have finally had to shoulder the responsibility of doing something on my own. And now that I have done that, I can have my own viewpoint because now I have my own experiences. Yeah. And those are the types of things you can learn from. I totally get it as him being so clouded by what his parents have put in his brain. Like I didn't have any thoughts politically beyond what my parents believed until I got to about voting age and started doing my own research into stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think that's normal for a kid in high school to not necessarily think outside the box there. I don't think there's anything in the book that legit 
gives him redemption. I do agree, though, that stuff was set up for it to happen, just never really did. And it's funny because they have that deleted scene that didn't even make it in the movie where he like runs a wand over to Harry or something. He like, and I feel like it, yeah. even something like that, where if Draco did something, that would have been great because at best in the book, he just doesn't tell the Death Eaters that Harry is Harry, that's like the best thing that he does. Right. Because even at the end, he just walks away with his parents. He doesn't actively do anything. It's just not doing bad things. And that is not enough. Yeah, it's not enough at all. What would have been incredible is if there was a moment where like, Harry was backed against a wall and Dementors were swooping in and he stepped in and cast a Patronus. Oh. Like, you'd be like, ooh. Malfoy's Patronus. Uh, ooh. Oh, yeah. We've made that video, have we not? Have we? I think we have. Hmm. What is okay. Malfoy's Patronus? Do we even know what his Patronus is? No, that's why I think why we made the video. Ah, so we were guessing. Okay. And we said it was a peacock. We did say it was a peacock. Yes. That makes sense. The albino peacock at the house. Exactly. You get it. Uh, Oh, all right. Cool. Well, we've cracked the room code. We've written Draco's redemption arc. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a better place to end this episode of Potterless. So Ben and Jay, thank you so much for coming on and talking about these with me. It was a super fun time. Listeners, thanks for sending them in. If people want to find you guys doing stuff on the internet, podcast-wise, all that stuff, where can they find you? Oh, man. Well, of course, you can head over to youtube.com slash Brothers. Check out our main channel where we have like hundreds of other Harry Potter theories you may want to check out as well. Uh, if you want to find me, Jay, on Twitter or Instagram, you can look up uh, Jonkerlin. That's J-O-N-K-E-R-L-I-N. And I am over on Instagram. I'm not really on Twitter anymore, but uh, Instagram is at SCB underscore Ben, because I'm like that guy who has an underscore in my username. Nice. Otherwise, we also have a podcast called Popcorn Culture, where we just talk about sometimes pop culture, sometimes what it was like growing up. Yeah. You can check that out as well. Awesome. What a time. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Listeners, thank you for listening. And as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, as they are lingering along with the Prime Minister that they definitely have a big old crush on, wizard on. They do say that a lot. They say it all the time in the books, for sure. Wizard on. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, it's that time of the year. It's Multitude survey time. Every year we do a listener survey with Multitude, and we ask you fine folks, the listeners, to tell us ways that we can make the shows better. We ask you what you like about the shows, what you think needs room for improvement. There's questions about all the different shows in Multitude. There's stuff about Potterless. There's stuff about meddling adults, horse, all that good stuff. It only takes about 15 minutes. It's got a bunch of fun emojis in it. It ends with a cute photo. It's a great time, and it really does help us make the shows better and get better sponsors and figure out live show stuff. So if you want to help us out, you can go to multitude.productions survey, do this quick quiz, and it'll help us a whole bunch. Thank you so much to all of you who decide to do so. Potterless was created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is normally edited by Mike Schubert, but this episode was edited by Sherry Guo. It is produced by Mike Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klauser, Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfelio, Rosemary, Dodge, Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Eleanor, Kerlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Alex Consulver, John Kotker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Nikki Harris, Kine, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Flora Sake, Skyla Lily, Edel Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskov, Chova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marie Kariga, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeel, Kevin Stewart, Jarls Fiven, Peter McGrath, Callahan and Darius, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Reese Dignan, Joseph Torp, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsaker, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie De Reif, Matt Barger, 
Sakura, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mango Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kiedis, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Henrika Wolf, Casey Canales, Megan Stampin, Jack Skitzes, Dane Nemcher, Little One, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, Call Call, Mother Feathers, Ribbon Monstrosity, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Hufflepuff Alumni, Brett Clausen, Mary Price, Artemis, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmidt, Carries Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Punkfish, Wire Warrior 4976, Joe Sander, Michael Peavy, Maya Saunders, Jasmine Ellis, Neely, Tate Sasson, Sam Sam Reby, Adriana Hernandez, John Savio, Jody, Donna Morphine, Nash Sanadiki, Emma L. Oscar Thomason, Sean Kirkoba, Greg Bonastali, Matthew J. Moreland, Ping Vinachek, Nani, Emma Kui, Tough Bayfong, Micah Alma McLeod, Michaela Veneer, Matthew Morrison, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Got It? Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Campomanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash potterylist, twitter.com slash potterylistpod, instagram.com slash potterylistpodcast, or reddit.com slash r slash potterylist. For any and all information about the show, you can go to potterylistpodcast.com. Bonus content lives at patreon.com slash potterylist. Merch lives at potterylistpodcast.com slash merch. And tickets to our live shows live at potterylistpodcast.com slash live. If you think of someone that might like the show, why don't you reach out and tell them about it? Say, hey, there's a show, Potterless. I think you'd like it. It's free to listen to. Check it out. Or you could leave us a rating and review online or talk about us on social media. Anything helps. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, wizard on. <laughs>